The reading today is from Luke uh, 24, verses 13 to 35. That's found on um, page 1061 of the New Testament. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their voices, their, sorry, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was, sorry, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Well, we have the reading in front of us, and we're going to look at this, and the heading is Life After Doubt. Life After Doubt. The disciples, uh, things don't bow well for them. They treat the response of the women with a typical sense of incredulity, that uh, their reaction, as you see it in Luke 24, when the women come to them and say that they've uh, seen the Lord, uh, they say... Uh, their response in verse 11 of Luke 24, this is the disciples, but they did not believe the women 
because their words seem to them like nonsense, like idle words, like wishful thinking, or what's sometimes called old wives' tales. Not very good, is it? To launch a mission that's going to turn the world upside down. I wonder if you have really felt so utterly and completely disillusioned. That is the, the, the spirit, the atmosphere in which these two uh, disciples, pilgrims, en route from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They are incredibly disappointed. They've witnessed the resurrection. Their hopes are shattered. Their dreams are dashed. And now they're returning home. And life goes on, as it always does. Now, this could be, in some varying degree, a description of you on a personal level. You could, you could stand up if you had the courage and you could say certain things of which you could say, like these disciples, we had hoped, but our hopes are dashed. And it might be for all sorts of reasons. It could be the onset so suddenly or gradually, young or old, of chronic ill health. Or being unemployed and just finding it difficult to get back into some semblance of routine. Or you are living either at work or at home with such a strained relationship that it seems to sap your energy and motivation. Or it might be that you're just, it's just the grind of life that takes its toll. The cumulative effect of all of this, and it's too much. You might say, I have too much baggage and the journey is long. It might be a bereavement or a divorce or many other things. And chances are at various times that would be true for many of us. So the road to Emmaus is an interesting one. It is a journey. It's a journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But the journey is more than that. It's not just from A to B, like some of you have come from Tame to Long Crendon and you'll get in your cars and you'll go back. It's more than that. It's, it's actually a journey of, of self-awareness. It's a journey moving from self-preoccupation to recognition. And it's a very powerful thing, as you shall see in the unfolding drama of this story. And it's not simply about feelings, though feelings are high and feelings are heavy and emotive. So in verse uh, 14, for example, uh, to 17 uh, in Luke 24, uh, we've no other cross-reference, so if you keep that passage open, you'll see how this comes to you. They were talking with each other, these two, about everything that had happened. You just try to picture it in your minds now. It's two people reflecting. Just talking about events. And verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? It's from self-preoccupation, ultimately, to a recognition of the Lord Jesus. So it's not simply feelings, 
but it's also faith. By the time you get to verse 32, you will see that instead of being heavy and disappointed, in verse 32 they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us. Just think for a moment, how often are our best moments reflective? And if that's true for you, that often the, 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 the joys and the good things are when you look back and you almost, not live in the past, but relive the joy, the, the sweetness of certain events. That's what it was like for them. And, and they say this. They, they talked. They asked each other. Verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us? I don't know about you. But you know. Something was happening. And it was a gradual thing. This idea of walking along together. That's the journey. From self-absorption. Self-preoccupation. To a recognition. Of who this living Jesus really is. I just want us to highlight, however, two uh, mistakes, two fatal mistakes in a sense, on this journey. And I want you to come with me on the journey as we uh, look at this passage together. The first mistake is the plan of salvation. They couldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. And you have that in verses uh, 20, 25 through to uh, and 26. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ, the Messiah, have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Well, they missed the point. And we can be like that sometimes. I've known some people who've been coming to church for a long time and they missed the point. It's the plan of salvation. And as it begins to impinge upon them personally, they begin to get the point. In a sense, all religions, in different ways and in different efforts, sincerely and with great imagination often have an inclination to reach God by what they do, whether it's praying more, giving more, working harder, going to church more, all these sort of things, or giving up things, not drinking this, not eating that, and so on. It's all part of trying to gain some credibility. Extra points. They may be done with great sincerity. But in the end it's self-effort. It's, the, it's what we call the ladder religion. You're working your way up. And the, you're working your way up and these rungs sometimes you slip and you, you try harder and you, you work more. Or it's the bridge. The chasm is great and you're trying to bridge the great chasm of you know what you are like and you know what God is like. And sometimes the chasm only gets greater. It's a bridge too far. But Jesus comes to us not like that. He comes to us in what we can call not the self-effort or, 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 or the bridging the chasm, but with the cross of faith coming right down to exactly where we are. And so look at verse 25 again. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart. So it isn't just an intellectual engagement. Sometimes perhaps as evangelicals, albeit sincerely, we think if you convince people, then you've won them. But what do they say? Convince a man against his will, he's of the same opinion still. But, look, 
How foolish and slow of mind, slow of heart, slow of heart. Because at the end of the day, the Christian faith is a heart religion. Of course, what we believe is imperative, but we can be slow of heart simply not to trust the Lord Jesus. And if we think that we want to understand everything before we do, we never will. We never will. So what we have here is an interesting uh, illustration or a model um, of how people come to trust Jesus. Just look at this uh, as it unfolds in some sort of order here. First of all, the facts of the story. You have that in verses 19 to 24. There it is. As Jesus begins to explain and to comment. Now some of these, these disciples would have known the Psalms. They would have known some of the Old Testament symbols, the atonement, the Lamb of God, the Passover. And you can imagine Jesus saying, all those things point to me. They point to me. And then secondly, you see there's a drawing near to the unseen Jesus. The unseen Jesus. Much discussion has come about this why didn't, they, why didn't they know who this person was? In verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why? Why? He's the unseen Jesus. Maybe their religious prejudices were the most monumental obstacles to seeing this Jesus. And then the scriptures, the Old Testament, speaking about the coming of the Messiah. And then fourthly say, okay, all of that fits in. I can see the sequence, the facts of the story, the unseen Jesus and his providence coming to me in my need. The, the Old Testament finding fulfillment. Yes, I see that. But wait a moment. Then the strong desire to take things further. If you can come to church and you can have the facts of the story and there's the unseen Jesus and then, yes, he's the Messiah. I see him. He fits into place. The jigsaw is there. But wait a moment. A desire to take things further. We haven't finished yet. And so you have in verse 28, for example, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus is testing. It's a very interesting word here. Acted, pretended, as if... Um, I'm going on. And there's a sense at which they enjoy his presence. And he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him, it's a very strong word, urged him, spoke to him, almost compelled him to stay with them. And then the final part, and again in verse 30 to 31, Preachers, hymn writers, individual Christians interpret this in all sorts of ways. Is it, the, is it what we're going to have in a moment, the breaking of bread? Or is it just in the home, in the most obvious, natural way, sharing a meal and this wonderful conviviality of talking and sharing that something happens? Most of our Lord's discussions are not like this in this formal sense, but informal, talking, sharing, interfacing with each other. And so in verse 30 you have this, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, 
gave thanks, broke it and began to give to them. Then something happened. I don't think it was the formal breaking of bread as we have it here. It wasn't that. Some of these disciples wouldn't have known about that. Jesus had only told the twelve. But what was it? Surely it's in the presence of the Lord Jesus that something begins to happen. And that's often the way, whether in church, perhaps at home, or when we are talking and fellowshipping with other people. It might be that you have made that sort of mistake. You made a mistake about the plan of salvation. It just didn't really connect with you. You believe it, but somehow it hasn't registered in your heart. So this morning, you can correct that mistake. And I'd urge you to do so. To come to him. To believe in him. To receive from him. And find that the journey is much lighter. And the hope is clearer. The second mistake is this. They made a mistake about his presence. The presence of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. It, it, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's, it's a bit like those of us, there was about 50, 55 odd people came on the Easter walk. And I met three people whom I'd not met before. And it's the most the easiest thing in the world to do. Just go up and say hello and so on and so on. You just walk and talk. It's the easiest thing to do. And that's the sort of thing that's happening here. And in, in these verses 15 and 16, it is Jesus himself. And you have to overcome this sort of prejudice and this hurdle. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. But it's not. And it's a mistake that when the Lord Jesus comes to us in all of our experiences, perhaps we don't realize it at the time, we need to be more receptive. We need to be more aware of his unseen presence. How could they, you might think, how could they? If I was there, I'd see Jesus. Would you? Really? I wonder. Is it doubts? Well, for sure there are plenty of those and massive disappointment. Sin and selfishness are powerful things. They blind us to the Lord Jesus. They blight our lives and cause us not to recognize that he was with us all the time. They blind us to his glory and his grace. It's so easy then for each of us in our personal journey. Here we are, we're, we're pilgrims. We embarked upon this journey of faith. That we are, here are the hurdles. And here, if I may say, are the things that cause us as even Christian people to make this mistake. It's not necessarily we're doing bad things. But life is completely out of perspective. You would have to go very far within less than three minutes of the benediction of any church service when people will tell you that they are too busy. Nothing original about that at all. 
but a result of being too busy to stop, too busy to disconnect from the rhythm of your personal life, that you make the mistake. It's a fatal mistake. That you don't experience the presence of the Lord Jesus. Too busy to stop, to listen, to wait, to hear, to hear his voice and to respond to him, to receive his grace and to enjoy again his felt presence. That's very subjective, I know, but there is a place for it. You know the way the hymn writers used to say, where is the blessedness once I knew when first I saw the Lord? It's a bit like uh, a marriage where you've been taking each other for granted and you're slowly growing apart. And we can be like that with, with the Lord himself. And he comes to us, draws us back to himself again. That's a real danger. It's a real danger even for the church, much less for these two uh, on this journey to Emmaus. The church can be too busy. Just doing church or being church. You remember the most instructed New Testament church, the Ephesian church, which we have a book written in the Bible with its strong doctrinal instruction. And it is the one that was challenged the most with losing its first love. And sometimes some of us, rightly, have a dilemma that it's all head knowledge. We almost, although we sort of envy the charismatic sometimes, but don't want to go there. We know it, we understand it, but we're stuck, really. And we're not really enjoying the presence of the living Lord. And you remember how Jesus spoke to the church, the Ephesian church. Here I am. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What a scandal. Jesus outside. I know Holman Hunt has that picture of the of, of, of the, the door and the heart, but it's really the church door, not the individual. It applies to us individually, of course. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And what does he want to do? Exactly the same here that he did with the two on the road to Emmaus, in the breaking of bread. And whether that's in the home or a church, it's a restored relationship, restored fellowship. And he comes to us. And how does he come? He comes calling Challenging, knocking, disturbing, awakening, and drawing us. And look at his challenge to the disciples. Come back to uh, this um, Emmaus journey. Verse 37. Look at this. He comes now to his own disciples, the, the, the eleven. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. The Lord coming to us. The Lord challenging us afresh. And I hope that's going to happen in a moment as we come to the Lord's table. Just to conclude... How then, if these are two fatal mistakes which we can make, 
How does the Lord himself respond, just very quickly, to those mistakes? Well, we, we've got the example here, haven't we? Jesus opened their understanding. You have that in verse 32, for example. There it is. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us, while he opened the scriptures? Do you see that? Opening their understanding. And you have it in verse, 30, verse 45. Then he opened their minds. Do you see that? So that they could understand the scriptures. That's a very important thing to do when we come to church. Where you can say, now I can see it. Now I understand. And it's not to being clever. It's nothing at all to being clever. If that were the case, it's only clever people are going to heaven. Those who understand. But it's a hard knowledge. And as you trust, put your wholehearted trust, you become part of a community of the burning heart. You know, in some Catholic places, it's the community of the bleeding heart. And you see... Uh, sincere prayers and pictures of Jesus and, and his heart bleeding. But the real community is the burning heart set on fire with love for the Lord Jesus. And the last and perhaps the final thing that Jesus does is to open their eyes. It opens their understanding. Opening their eyes. You have that in verse uh, 31. Then their eyes were opened. You see it? They recognized him. So they've done the journey from self-absorption to recognition. This is the Lord. Here he is and he's with us. And where does it come? In the breaking of bread. As we interface. Whether it's formal or informal. Whether it's the communion table or at home with a fellowship meal. The breaking bread. The lesson for us, we need to learn to see him in all of our lives. In all of our lives. Because we've embarked on a journey. There's no turning back. We know that. But this journey has many dangers, snares, dark valleys and all those things. Setbacks, or as Pilgrim Progress used to, uh, John Bunyan in that wonderful story, you get stuck in the slough of despond. So we need to pray, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to understand what you have done for us. All of that is true, but you know, in, in the final analysis, it's not what, but whom. It's not what I know, but whom I know. Not what, but whom I do believe. That in my darkest hour of need have comfort that no mortal creed shall all these creeds outlive. Not what? But whom? And think about this. Who walks beside me in the gloom? Who shares the burden wearisome? Who all the dim ways will illumine? And bids me look beyond the tomb, the larger life to live. 
Not what I believe. But whom did not our hearts burn within us as we met with him? That is a wonderful example of a fresh encounter that we need as believing people. Or perhaps for the very first time that you begin to look back and you say, yes, he was with me there. And in those terrible moments, the sense of utter despair, he was with me there. And you have to ask his forgiveness and trust him and listen 